It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Good morning, folks. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so glad to have you with us. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. My name is Mike Bernard. I'm your host, and I'm also one of the advisors on the show, along with my business partners and fellow financial advisors over at KFG, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Yeah, I love that tagline that you share every week, Mike. You say, we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. And then we always dive into a narrow area of people's financial lives that they need some wisdom in. But today we're staying broad. That's right. Right? We're talking about financial wisdom itself so that you know what it is, where to find it, and how to recognize it when you see it. This could be our most important show ever. So no pressure, Josh, Kevin, Casey, (laughs) no pressure. Hey, folks, even though wisdom is the topic of today, if you have a question or a comment or anything else, this is your show. We want to hear from you. Go to wisemoneyradio.com or give us a call, 574-222-2000. You can submit questions that way. You can also go to Facebook, at Wise Money Radio or Twitter, same tag, and send questions that way as well. And we... Appreciate you liking the page, getting all the updates, blog posts, all that sort of stuff. Join the conversation. Thank you very much. So here's the question, folks. Would you consider yourself wise financially? Every week, just like Josh said, we talk about, we're trying to help you take your next wise step in your financial life. But what in the world does that mean? I tell you, this topic is all stemming from a discussion that Uh, I had with Kevin just a couple days ago where he was listening to a podcast recently and the individual said, with all the advancements over the past really hundred years almost, we've got much more information and all this stuff, but we're no wiser. And I thought, gosh, our show's about financial wisdom. We need to talk about this problem, this epidemic of lack of wisdom. Yeah, the, to give credit where credit is due, I was listening to a podcast, um, a guy named Tim Ferriss, who's written a few books, 4-Hour Workweek, The 4-Hour Body, um, The 4-Hour... Tool, Tools of the Titans, I think, was yep. the most recent one. So he's he's a prolific author and an all-around pretty crazy guy. And so I would give you a warning. If you listen to Tim Ferriss... Um, you probably need a, a language warning because he's going to use some language that uh, you... Yeah, he's kind of raw. He's yeah. kind of raw. I mean, you would say, do you kiss your mom with that mouth after <laughs> listening to him? But he he interviews amazing people. And he interviewed a guy named Ricardo Semler, who's a, a very successful businessman, who himself is a prolific author and an all-around wise guy. And I think you can gain and glean wisdom almost anywhere if you're looking for it. But what Ricard, the point that Ricardo made was we had the agricultural revolution, the industrial revolution, the information revolution, the knowledge revolution. But the question is, are we getting, when is the wisdom revolution going to happen? And how do we get to real wisdom? In our context, we look at that and we say, How do we get to financial wisdom Mm -hmm. and how do we equip people and encourage them to seek and pursue and then utilize 
financial wisdom. Well, let me, let me just take a step back. Kevin and I went to a technology conference, a financial technology. They call it FinTech because we're into acronyms and shortening everything in the financial world uh, last year. And they talked about how in 2010, there was $1.9 billion invested into FinTech, trying to develop technology for the financial world. Uh, that was 2010, $1.9 billion. Um, in 2015, five years later, $19 billion. There is just tons and tons of money being invested, not only in financial technology, but technology in general to make life better, to provide more access to information. However, I would argue that information is not getting us any closer to the application, the actual being wise. And I think, folks, we've got dishwashers now, so you don't have to spend time washing your dishes if you don't want. Um, we've got microwaves, so you don't have to wait that long to heat up your food. However, and we've got the Internet where you can go out there and figure out how to change your own oil, how to diagnose your health problem, all of that. But are we truly applying that knowledge? Are we getting wiser? I don't think so. So th this, this quote that Kevin, Kevin cited really, really struck me. So before we get too far, though, and we're going to take this to financial wisdom, but in general, let's start with a definition of wisdom. You know, my kids, they're uh, seven, eight, and nine years old. Right, right now, this time of year, that's kind of where we're at. What and, were you guys thinking? Uh, yeah, I know. That, <laughs> so that was the example. not wise, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's a party anyway. And, uh, you, you know, the older that they get, I feel like the more important this topic of wisdom gets in my eyes. And, in fact, I would say that the two things that I want for their lives more than anything else, I want them to love Jesus and I want them to be wise. Mm -hmm. Those are the, the two things. If I could just give them, uh, you know, make that choice for them, then, then I would, right? So I feel like more and more in our house, this topic of wisdom is coming up in conversations. And it's not just about, you know, recognizing the difference between foolishness and wisdom. It's also recognize the difference between good and the best. Mm. And if I was going to give a, a definition that's maybe oversimplified for my kid's sake, uh, this very abstract concept of wisdom, I would say that um, wisdom is knowing the best thing to do when you have a decision to make. Mm. It's all about making choices. If someone's wise, then they're a good chooser in their life. And you don't really even need wisdom until you have a choice. You have two paths to go down. Mm. And that's really what financial planning is all about. Right. It's it's seeking wisdom. I've, I've got options here. How do I know which one not not which one is good, but which one is the best? Yeah. So that's how I would, you know, try to maybe define it for my kids sake. And I've I've often found, boy, if I can simplify it for their level, then maybe I have a shot at getting it, too. Mm hmm. Well, so there is. I love that. Actually, we, we didn't rehearse this, folks. This is. Um, that's kind of just out there, and I learn a little bit from that. However, I, I feel like one point is missing. Josh, I can't restate your definition word for word, but knowing the right thing is sometimes different. To, to my point about we're in this information age or knowledge age, although I'm, I'm not sure about that, um, when do you do it? You got to yeah. take action. Oftentimes, yeah. If you're listening, if you're a regular listener to the Wise Money Show, you'll hear me sometimes cite my quick, quick and dirty definition, which is um, knowing the right thing and then doing it. Mm -hmm. 
So the application of knowledge. And so how I would define it is um, a blend, the right blend of knowledge, character, humility, and action. And I think humility is kind of embedded in character a little bit, but but it just stands out. You've got to, in order to be wise, you've got to be always learning. And Kevin, what's the enemy of learning? Knowing. Knowing. If you think you mm-hmm. know everything, you're not going to learn anymore. You've right. probably already changed the channel and are listening to tunes right now instead of us talk <laughs> about this. Right. So you you when you look at that the the comp- what component what what's the key ingredient if you are going to be seeking and gaining wisdom, it is humility. Because without humility, I'm not seeking wisdom. Yeah. yeah. So that that's a that's kind of the bedrock upon which uh, wisdom is built. So let's turn this now and apply it to finances. So so Josh, how I'll turn it to you first. How would you adapt your definition to apply to financial wisdom? What's that? You know, I, I don't know if I would even adapt it. I would just say it is knowing the best thing to do when you're facing a decision and to add your extra component, having the courage to actually go do it, right? Mm-hmm. And it, often, um, I, I like how you guys uh, linked character and competence together. It's, it's not just about um, having great skill or experience, recognizing the right technical knowledge in, in order to, to know the right thing to do, but also are you doing it for the right reasons? And that's certainly important in our in our business. We have to not only know how to advise our clients, but then also make sure that we have the character that the advice we give is for their benefit and right. it's the best for them, right? right? You have to marry the two together. Yep. So folks, on the Wise Money Show every single week, we're we're helping hopefully with with two of those four components, the knowledge piece. Uh, that we spend all day every day looking at um, you know, financial data, financial data and research and so on, trying to gain knowledge and so on. And then we're also trying to stir you to action. And, and um, so hopefully this is helping you. This show is helping you become more wise financially. We've got a lot more to dive in here with that. And then we're taking some listener questions. All that and more coming up on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Good morning, folks. We're so glad to have you with us. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name's Mike Bernard alongside Josh Gregory and Kevin Corhorn. Special thanks to the attorneys at Ledoux, Kern, and Keene, as well as First State Bank for sponsoring the Wise Money Show. And today we're actually talking about wise money, what in the world it means to be wise financially. And uh, we've got a lot more to unpack there. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 574-222-2000, or reach out to us by going to wisemoneyradio.com. Listen, if you missed anything as well, you can catch up on all the previous episodes right there, as well as on the podcast, um, just by searching Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. So, All right, so we were just defining what... How, what's meant by financial wisdom? I think we left some meat on the bone there. Well, I I think the metaphor is uh, financial wisdom is getting to the point where maybe you're at some sort of a crossroads. You have a decision to make. Do I go left? Do I go right? And financial wisdom is knowing which route is going to take you to the destination that you're envisioning. That's consistent with your goals, with your overall objective and your financial life. And 
a, a lot of times um, it, it's important when you get to those crossroads, maybe you don't know which way to go and you start seeking out the advice of someone else. Maybe it's a friend or family member that's taken the road to the left and maybe you consult someone who's gone to the right and you make your decision. Other times it's actually seeking out a professional who maybe knows both roads and knows a third option that you're not even considering. That's right. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's often the value of having a, a coach who is bringing financial wisdom to the table in an area that maybe you haven't experienced before. Well, this is interesting. So again, trying to dive into what is the definition of wisdom. And if you, if you read the Bible, um, Proverbs are all about defining wisdom and laying out what that is and even talking about some choices that you have to make. And one of my favorite verses on wisdom, Proverbs twelve fifteen, says, the way of a fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. And Josh mentioned, I mean, we talked about humility in the first segment, that that's a core component of, of wisdom. You've got to be humble. You've got to be listening to advice. But Josh just brought it up. Financial advice, you need to be listening to the advice of the right counsel. Do mm-hmm. they have the right experience, the right expertise to help you choose which of these paths is the best one? Yeah, and I think, and I would also, there's a component there. Part of it is is seeking and receiving advice, and then the other part is applying it. So when I think about people that are financially wise, and when I, you think about financial wisdom, your financial life, from my perspective, is it should not be a solitary journey. It should not be, you should not live it by yourself, because if you do, most likely you will become emotional about making your decisions. Mm. And of course you'd be emotional. They're, they're your decisions. They affect your life. But oftentimes what happens when we get emotional in our decision-making, we, we tend to make the wrong decisions. You actually had a good example of someone who was carrying a little bit of emotion into a decision in a recent appointment and applied some financial wisdom in choosing between how they were currently doing it, which fed some of their emotion, some mm-hmm. of their, hey, I like to do this because I like to do what I want with this money, yeah. and you and and you shed some light on a different option. Well, it it, it was striking because they were, this, this couple was, was taking a certain approach to an area of their finances, and I just stood up at the whiteboard and drew up how they were doing it and how they could do it, and the difference would save them $516. And uh, that that's meaningful. I'm still picking up pennies in the parking lot. So if I can save a couple hundred bucks, uh, you've got my interest. And they looked at it the, and they said, okay, uh, we'll do that. We'll get in touch with our HR folks and make the change. And it really stood out to Evan, who was in the appointment with me. We were a teaching hospital, so we tried to not do anything uh, by ourselves, if we can avoid it, we've always got some sort of an apprentice or next level person in with us. And Evan was struck at how easy it was for them to receive the advice and to take it. Mm-hmm. And I thought about that because we do see on occasion where you can uh, point something out to someone that's very clear and very easy, and it would improve their financial situation and they look at it and they say, Hmm, well, I don't, well, we'll talk about it. We'll, 
consider it. Maybe we'll, we'll get back with you on that. Yeah. And I thought how refreshing it is for people that are leaning in and saying, I'm seeking advice and wisdom. And if you've got it, I'll take it and do it and improve my situation. I'm not looking back. I'm not looking to the left or the right. I am moving forward and doing the wise thing. Mm-hmm. And, and really just to provide a little bit more detail in case your mind's wandering there, it was really just choosing how you fund your HSA. And we've talked about the HSA, the health savings account, a lot on the show. And uh, if you fund it just out of cash and cash flow, uh, that might feel more comfortable. But you get to save federal and state tax, but you don't get to don't get any benefits on FICA. And I believe the illustration, Kevin, as you just said, you know what? The best way to fund this is right out of payroll, and it's yep. going to save you these extra taxes. Even though that changed a little bit of how they like to do it, and um, some of the choices that they were going to make with their finances, they quickly just said, "Oh, yeah, we'll do it that way." You know, I want to emphasize something else that Kevin just said too, uh, because I don't want that to get missed. You you said. Your financial journey should not be a solitary journey, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And and that is pretty profound. That that is also not natural. It feels mm-hmm. to me like finances are kind of that last area in people's lives that they want to maintain secrecy. It's very private, and to open themselves up to the advice of someone else may not feel natural, and yet often it's maybe the wisest thing that someone could do because. We don't know what we don't know, right? We don't know that there is uh, an, a, an outside perspective out there that could really improve our financial life if we're just humble enough to seek it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's awesome advice that you're given. Yeah. So what about the idea of, of habits? We've talked about humility. That's uh, one of my favorite H words. Habits is another one of my favorite H words. What role do you guys think habits play and being wise. Well, if we're playing Jeopardy and habits is the answer, the question is, what is it that makes someone successful? Mm. And I love to ask the team that periodically. What is it that makes someone successful? It's their habits. And that's a fairly open-ended question and open-ended answer, but it's true. And I heard John Maxwell say, most people want uphill results with downhill habits. Yeah. And you say, no, no, no. What you want is you want to have good habits because earlier Josh was talking about the big decisions, kind of the fork in the road, and I got to make a big financial decision here. And that is a component of how well your financial life goes. But the other part of it is just what do I do moment by moment, day by day. What are my habits? What are the guiding principles that I live my financial life by uh, to to get the result I'm trying to get? Well, to to me, habits also, it's addressing the behavioral part of wisdom, right? It's It's the implementation, the repeatable ways that you actually let wisdom play out in your life on a day-to-day basis, just like you were saying, Kevin. And, you know, I I often use the example where sometimes people get to a point where they have this kind of aha moment and they say, you know what, now's the time. This is the year I'm going to start funding a Roth IRA or I'm going to start doing this good thing in in my financial life. And they make a great wise decision. But then the question is, are they going to carry it out on an ongoing basis? Are you going to do it again next year? And the year after that, and are you going to keep on doing it over a lifetime? 
to me, building habits or maybe even the better way is to have a systematic approach to implementing things Mm -hmm. where instead of deciding today, yeah, we're going to fund a Roth IRA because that's a good thing to do. What if you set up an automatic contribution so it just happens every single day moving forward Mm -hmm. and you get the benefits of a, a lifetime of great wisdom, great decisions when you really made one great decision and then set it on autopilot. And then stuck with it. That's right. That's right. So I started, we started the show, I asked you, are you wise financially? And we've talked, we've defined wisdom. We've talked about financial wisdom and we're starting to talk about habits. Well, here's the deal, folks. If you didn't answer that question well, you said, no, I'm not, or maybe, you can do it. You can be wise financially. And that's where we're going to take it next. We're going to start applying. Okay, what are some wise financial habits that you can start applying right now? And as promised, listener questions coming up as well. That and more here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Good morning, folks. Thanks for tuning in to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name's Mike, alongside Josh Gregory, alongside Kevin Corhorn. Thank you to Bethel College, Adult and Graduate Studies, as well as Diane Bennett and the REMAX uh, 100 team over there for partnering with us on the Wise Money Show. So far, we've been defining what in the world is wise money. How do you become wise financially? And we're going to pull that apart a little bit more here and it really actually help stir you on to take some wise um, action in your financial life. If you have a question or a comment, reach out to us, wisemoneyradio.com, or give us a call, 574-222-2000. So we've defined wisdom, we've defined financial wisdom, and now you can do it. You can do it, folks. Yep. You can be wise financially. I know you can because I've seen it. I've seen people come in and say, gosh, I haven't made a lot of great financial choices, like Josh said. Wisdom is taking the best making the best choice, not just a good choice. And from that moment forward, we've just righted the ship. So mm-hmm. you can do it, folks. On a, at a high-level basis, what are some wise financial habits? And, and we're going to start uh, diving into those right now that you can apply right now. Yeah, and just a little shoot off of that. These are habits that you can apply right now. But last night I was meeting with some folks and they looked at each other and they said something that we've heard quite often. And I'm assuming you could talk to any certified financial planner around town and they've heard these same words. I wish we had started this earlier. Mm-hmm. And the good news is you can get started right now applying these habits. So let's let's get into it. Well, so maybe this first example, it's kind of a stretch to even call it a habit, but it's certainly something that you could kind of take inventory in your life and re-examine, maybe even make some changes. And that is, if you want to be more wise in life in general, choose wise friends to be hanging out with. Who you choose to associate with, I think is pretty, pretty important. Not just in your day-to-day life, but also who you're letting into your life to be a mentor or a coach or an advisor. I think wisdom is contagious. When you hang out with people who are wise, you're going to get bit by that bug too. It's going to happen. And the opposite's true as well. If, uh, if you're hanging out with people who maybe are, are thinking, um, that their thinking is challenged, I'll say it that way, um, 
you know, you, you're going to be hearing a lot of that. That's what you're going to be filling your mind with. And maybe it'll be harder for you to recognize the best thing to do when you're facing choices because the voices in your life are not really supporting that best decision anyway. Oh my goodness. I was just trying to look it up. I'm, I'm, I didn't, I'm, I'm not, not going to get it right, but a couple of mine I'm going to share are from one of my favorite authors, Napoleon Hill. And he mentioned ongoing daily people are thinking about poverty and basically that they can't do something and they're, they're achieving that in overabundance. So Josh, mm-hmm. you're right. Whoever you, the people you surround yourself with are going to guide your thinking. Another quote, I think it's from Tim Ferriss actually, is that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. It's very interesting. That's good. That's good advice. That's really good advice. Uh, so I had, so Napoleon Hill wrote a few of my all time favorites. And one of them he wrote called the laws of success. Okay. And one of the items that he cited is this habit here. And it, it specifically applies to finances. Replace the spending habit with the saving habit. Folks, he wrote that in 1925 and it's still applicable today. Our society by default is a consumption society. Everywhere you turn, you are nudged, you're urged. The default is you should consume. And I I love to consume too, folks. I do. Right now, it's Under Armour gear. <laughs> I just, I don't know why, but I see uh, some uh, some good gear and I'm like, oh, I need that, right? Everywhere you turn, you're prompted to do that. However, is that what's wise financially? Isn't wisdom striking the right balance between consumption today and saving up for consumption or freedom tomorrow? And And so I would urge you, especially when you're working with a certified financial planner, when you're not going it alone, as Kevin said, you can more easily practice the habit of saving and forgo or limit the habit of spending. Yeah, when I think of what financial habit, if I only could um, talk about one or two, I would say to seek simplification or efficiency in your financial life. Mm. And that that's a that's a daily that's an ongoing. So what's an example process. of that? An example of that is looking and saying what financial decisions do I have to make? And I would get the big decisions made and then I would get an implementation program so that I didn't have to reconsider those decisions on an ongoing basis. Mm-hmm. So to oversimplify and I like things really simple, um the idea of there's three things that you do with your money and you should do them in this order. Number one is give. So this is what I talk to my kids about. You get a dollar, 10 cents, that goes to the church. Give it right back to God from whom it came. Number two is save. Save another dime. So 10 cents to the church, 10 cents in the piggy bank, and then 80 cents you can spend. Now, we know as adults of the 80 cents, a chunk of that's going to go to taxes and what have you. But really, don't spend the money today that belongs to the retired version of you. So organize your life in that manner, in that fashion. And so when I when I started working, I said, well, I, you know, I've got a financial plan, but the the dollars aren't there to fully fund it the way I want to. 
But I know this. I know that I can put the maximum into the plans that that I, by law, that mm-hmm. I can put in. So I'll just start with that. And that's a habit that I've had from the very beginning of my career. And that that has served me well. I've never wondered, well, should I fund this or should I contribute to this? No. If I can, if I can get it in, it's going in. Yeah. Cool. And, and so that's what that is one habit that I would say is I'm always looking for ways to simplify, to make things more efficient, to put them on autopilot so that I don't have to redecide. Yeah. And I know for sure what I've said yes to, so I'm not wondering what to do. You know, I think another habit that uh, is tough for people to build into their financial lives, especially when they're married, is the constant or, or the consistent review of their financial life, paying attention to what's going on and reviewing progress towards your goals, just talking about the money. Mm. For, for a lot of marriages, this is, you know, one of the most sensitive topics that you could possibly bring up. It's just, it's, it's ripe with conflict quite often. It can, there can be fireworks when you're talking about this. And that's all the more reason in my mind, uh, if you have to, even to, to get a mediator involved, an, an advisor or someone who can facilitate a, uh, an unemotional conversation so that you're both on the same page. You're not going to make progress in your financial life if you don't really know where you are relative to the goals that you've been setting. And that if you and your spouse are not both on the same page and both pulling in the same direction, then um, you're just, again, not going to make progress like you could otherwise. Yeah, that's good. Uh, My second one here is also from Napoleon Hill. Same book. It flies in the face of logic. Always do more than what you're getting paid for. Interesting. Always do more than what you're getting paid for. And in finances, people strive to get something for nothing. But in order to practice the habit of saving more than you spend or excuse me, um, saving a good chunk and replacing uh, the spending habit with the saving habit. You've got to work hard. You've got to, you know, have a full-time job and, and so on. And guess what happens? If you continually outwork your paycheck, what's going to happen to your income? Your employer is going to just be forced to pay you more. And then you'll work harder than that. And they're going to be forced to pay you more. And you're going to out-earn that or outwork that. They'll be forced to pay you more. You want to achieve financial success, work for it. Don't spend your energy trying to find a way to get something for nothing. Always work for more than what you're getting paid for. Yeah. Folks, hopefully this has been helpful. Hopefully this has stirred you on to take some great financial action, some implement some wise financial habits in, in, in your life. And uh, in just a moment, we've got a question coming up from Jenny, who is seeking some financial wisdom in a situation that we can all put ourselves in. My child is turning 16 and my auto insurance is going up. What in the world do I do? And we're going to talk about the knee-jerk reaction and then the best action. So take that and more coming up on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. 
Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran & Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Good morning, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard, alongside Joshua Gregory and Kevin Corhorn. Hope you are having a great start to your weekend. If you've missed anything, go to wisemoneyradio.com. You can check out the previous 10 episodes right there. I believe it's 10. Uh, but then you can also check out the podcast. It's got all of them. The full bank is right there. Check it out on iTunes, Google Play. Search for, search for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. If you have a question, you can go to the website as well or give us a call, 574-222-2000. Lastly, like the page, check us out, stay connected on Facebook and Twitter at Wise Money Radio. The entire show today has been about financial wisdom, and we've defined what wisdom is, what financial wisdom is, and we've left you with a few financial habits, wise financial habits that you can start and implement in your life And we're turning now to listener questions who are seeking listeners, fans of the show, seeking some financial wisdom. And gosh, this first one from Jenny, we can all relate to. Whether you've got kids this age or not, you can understand her question. Here it is. My oldest child is turning 16 later this year, and I'm concerned about what that's going to do to my car insurance premium. Any insights or recommendations? That is a great question, Jenny. And most folks don't know where to turn to for the right answers. And so they do the ready, fire, aim. That, hey, we went out and bought this car, so now what does it cost to insure? Or, um, hey, uh, we told our child that they would have these privileges, so we have to do it, and now what do we do? And I think, Jenny, what you want to do is this is the beginning of many good conversations to have with your oldest child and to sit them down and say, look, there are some real meaningful expenses that come along with you getting your driver's license. And one of those is the cost of insurance. And the reason why insurance is high for youthful drivers is because they tend to be the ones that get in the accidents. (laughs) Yep. Rookie mistakes, right? (laughs) Absolutely. And, um, so, so, so your suggestion then to Jenny is, hey, the, the insurance is going to go up. Have the child pay for it. Well, is that my, what I'm hearing? No, I, there's a, there are a lot of different ways to do it. That I would certainly talk to the child and say, this is what our financial partnership is going to look like. Yeah, these are what your financial responsibilities are. Well, but yeah. that begins, though, with a conversation between the parents, right? Because this is a philosophical issue. It's, sure. it's a question of, in our house, uh, do you have the right to drive a car? And we're going to facilitate that. We'll pay for the car. We'll pay for the insurance and everything. Or is it a privilege that you have to earn somehow or you have to pay for it? Um, or is it actually a convenience to us as parents? <laughs> but I hear that one all the time, right? <laughs> Me too. Oh, finally, I don't have to be the chauffeur anymore. Right. So, yeah, I'll, I'll gladly write the check for that insurance so that, uh, you know, my, my son or daughter can drive the other kids around. Yeah. But, but whatever it is, it will drive uh, y- your decision, no pun intended there. Pun intended. That's right. <laughs> Put the, pump the brakes, Josh. Thank you. The, the, the issue here, though, is um, wh- whose responsibility are these premiums? Um, Jenny framed it as what's going to happen to my insurance premiums. Hmm. And I, I grew up in a household that when I was old enough to drive, I needed to work. 
And if I wanted to drive a car, I needed to pay for the insurance and the gas that I used. And if I wanted to drive my own car, I needed to pay for that too. But that's not every family, right? And I I actually appreciate that approach that my parents took because I feel like it taught me a thing or two. I, I learned at a younger age the value of working and just how expensive stuff is. Yeah, I think there's huge value, uh, Jenny, not only in having a conversation with your spouse and then your child, but you also want to have a conversation with your insurance agent Mm. because there are lots of different programs that are available that people just don't know about. So there are defensive driving classes that kids can take that will uh, take a certain percentage off of the premium. There's a discount that uh, good students can get, so that again, is a motivation for your child to make sure they're keeping their grades up. And um, the other thing, when you look at that, if you've got... Hang on, though. I don't mean to interrupt you, but it's only a motivation for them to keep their grades up if it's they if it's them who is actually going to be saving the money on those premiums if uh-huh. if mom and dad are paying the premiums well what do i care if i'm at 3.4 or 3.5 hmm. you know the difference to mom and dad might be 150 bucks a year but if it na- makes no difference to me then it, am i in a situation where i don't actually have an incentive other than well, maybe it's college that's on my mind or something like that yeah good point yeah well shifting gears here i think One of the things that you would want to be talking about as well, if you have an older car, the question is, what car will this youthful driver be driving? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so some folks have an old, if if you live in farm country, you've got the old farm truck and you say, all right, well, I'm going to have my child be the driver on that vehicle. So the vehicle that the child drives does influence what the cost of insurance is. Yeah. And so I would encourage you if you're if you're looking for a vehicle for your child to talk to your insurance agent first because that should direct you to which types of vehicles that you would even consider. Yeah. And back in the day when I was in college and I was looking for a car my dad said, "Hey, go talk to our agent before you buy a car. So I went and sat down with Don Som, and we looked at all the different types. And at the time, uh, a Ford Escort and a Volkswagen Fox were both really inexpensive to insure. So we went looking for those, and I found a Volkswagen Fox station wagon, and it was very inexpensive to insure. <laughs> I bet the dates were pretty inexpensive, say, too. That's right. You save yeah. a lot of money on dates. They may very popular with the ladies. A couple other things to do. I, I certainly would encourage going to your agent and not with the threat, if you will, of saying, this is going to cost way too much. We need to do something. Because then they're just going to switch to, how can I reduce your coverage? Folks, this is not the time to, re- to reduce your coverage. Right. This is a time to actually increase your coverage. I literally... Saw a roommate of mine in college drive the wheels off of the other roommate's car. (laughs) (laughs) That really happened. You say how? Got a flat tire. He changed the tire, put the wheel on backwards, and was driving back from McDonald's through an intersection. The wheels fell off. That's nuts. It was my <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was my uh, my roommate's car, and when she loaned it to my friend, she lent her insurance as well. Folks, you want to have great coverage with a great company at this time. So, what else could you do? I love the driver safety school. I love getting good grades. I also, and I've done this myself. 
get that smart tracker doohickey thing that you plug into your car. You do that. Some people think, well, I'm inviting Big Brother into my into my vehicle. Casey Hendrickson would say that. Conspiracy. No, it saved me. Uh, I think it saved me 11% of my car insurance when I did that. Google already knows anyway. They know <laughs> everything you're doing. The other thing is, instead of focusing on your coverage in the cost, look at your deductibles. And you might say, financially, I need to keep a low deductible. Well, you hopefully you've got your financial act together in a situation where you can look at change in deductibles to make sure that cost isn't isn't too high. So, all right. We need to motor past this one. We've got one other question to sneak in here. It's from Rick. Uh, My wife and I are going through a divorce, and I'm curious about the process of giving her half of my old 401k. Do I withdraw it and pay the taxes in order to give it to her, or does she pay the taxes, or how do we do that? Thanks for your help. I'll give the short answer and say, first of all, I I wish you guys weren't going through this situation. I believe in reconciliation. I've seen it happen when a lot of times people come to me and say, hey, we're separating. I tell them, hey, I know you can reconcile, and and I hope you guys can. Second thing I I would tell you to work with an attorney because the attorney should help you navigate how to divide up the assets in a fair way. And then third, and I've even, even seen some attorneys not get this quite right, but use something called a qualified domestic relations order. They call it a quadro. Because, right, you shouldn't, in order to split up your IRA or your 401k, you shouldn't have to withdraw half of it, pay the tax and penalty to give the other half to the spouse. You should be able to transfer half of your account into their account, and both of you guys continue to avoid the taxes on that. has to be accepted by the 401k company itself as well. So... Don't skip any steps. Make sure that you're getting the advice and the counsel of the attorney, but also make sure you're really involving the 401k company early on in the process. That's right. Seek professional help and, and you know because they will be able to help you save a lot of money. I know they'll cost money, but they'll help you save a lot of money. Yeah, so. So, and we should stop using acronyms ASAP. It's a Qualified Domestic <laughs> Relations Order, that, known as a quadro. Oh that is all the time we have today, folks. Thank you for listening. On behalf of Kevin Corhorn, Josh Gregory, and myself, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.